welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oaklawn Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, my name is John Donegan. I'm a member of the Cranston City Council and a member of the Our Built Environment Subcommittee of the One Cranston Health Equity Zone, and I'm excited to be here today. And hi, my name is John Flaherty. I'm deputy director at GrowSmart Rhode Island, a nonprofit that's statewide, but based in Providence, and really looking forward to today's conversation. So a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about how both of these organizations are working towards making Rhode Island a healthier, hopefully happier, more transport-friendly place, and preserving what makes Rhode Island so great, which I think is our varied environment and a lot of our outdoor natural spaces. Um, But before we get into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading? So I recently went back to school. I'm taking some education courses and one class over the summer, we were assigned What Happened to You, which is a book written by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And it discusses uh, trauma and the impact of trauma, resilience, and healing on communities. And we read it for the educational setting, but it was um, something that reverberates within our own communities and and certainly is applicable in in lots of different areas. And as an educator, it certainly shifted my thinking on how to approach the classroom and management and, uh, you know, the relationships that we build with the people around us. That's that's the most recent one. I've been trudging along through a, a history of modern Ireland for the past couple of years that I flip maybe a couple pages through here or there. Uh, it's it's the long term project that's kind of the, the personal interest, but uh, we'll we'll get to the end eventually. <laughs> uh, what is that expression? It doesn't matter how fast you go as long as you do not stop. <laughs> that's great. It piqued my curiosity in the in the uh, history of Ireland. Um, that sounds really fascinating. And I, I, judging by your last name, I think we're both we're both Irish. And yeah. um, I know my family's from the Galway area. What about yours? Cork, yep. which um, we always assumed that Donegan, being uh, so close to Donegal, that we probably kind of came from there. And my wife and I on our honeymoon. Um, you know, we, we didn't really look into it too in depth, but we, we found ourselves in Donegal Town and uh, went into a little shop and ha- ended up having a an hour conversation with the storekeeper. And finally, as we were walking out, I said, do you know of any Donegans? And he said, no, that's that's not a Donegal name. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, we started looking into it a little bit more. And, and Cork is where uh, where we came from. Cork on the Donegan side, the Craigs came from um, up in Ulster. Okay. Very cool. So, you know, anticipating that we're going to be having some conversation about community development, there's one book that I highly recommend. Um, it's sort of a seminal book for anybody who's uh, interested in issues pertaining to community development, um, and that's called The Death and Life of the Great American Cities by Jane Jacobs. Um, she published it in 1961. It's a classic book, and it was really a- around the issues that were happening at that time around um, urban renewal and plowing down neighborhoods and putting highways through them. And um, she was more of a community activist. She passed away in um, 1994, I believe. But she really looked at the community as a place where people 
live and work and just conduct their lives and what makes those communities um, livable and attractive um, and what are the things that were happening at that time in particular that really were destroying community. And it's just a very interesting retrospective. That's that's the, the older book that I was going to recommend. The, the newer one um, is one called um, The Geography of Nowhere, and it's by um, James Howard Kunstler. It was, he published that in 1994, and it looks at many of the same issues, but in a more um, uh, updated time frame. So looking at some of the things that the different communities are doing, but it really draws attention to, you know, if you think about how communities have developed um, since the 1960s, there's this notion of, you know, every place kind of looks the same when you get, you could get dropped down, you know, in a parachute and land in most places, and they kind of have the same characteristics, these wide, expansive roads and the big box retail. And so he, he gets into the issues about what makes communities distinctive and how to achieve those kinds of things and how to resist becoming sort of anywhere USA. So those are two that I would recommend. Interesting. It makes me think about, so I recently went for a weekend in Boston and I mean, there are a lot of pros and cons to anywhere, including cities, but I get being in a city made me think of some of kind of the pros that I think don't get talked about because everyone is talking about the the negatives. But like we took public transit like three times the whole time we were there. Like we walked so many places, sometimes to the detriment of our feet. But um, the fact that we were like able to walk so many places without having to like cross the highway or anything um, is so different. Even like, obviously there were a lot of Dunkin' Donuts because that's like the national butt of the joke is that like Boston is like the capital city of Dunkin' Donuts. But there were also a lot of like independent donut and coffee places too. That So it, you're right. It wasn't very much like anywhere USA. It felt very unique. Walking around in, in downtown Boston, there's no mistaking where you are. You know where you are because of the architecture, because of the urban forum, the landmarks. Um, and, you know, we've lost that in a lot of more suburban locations. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I think it it, uh, it sounds like if you were to get off the exit, off the highway onto Reservoir Avenue, uh, it, it essentially looks exactly like if you were to get off the highway in any main corridor in exactly. anywhere. It's a strip of two, three lanes of roads in, in either direction filled with Parking lot and some businesses that you can drive right up to and park in front of, but you know, traffic and you wouldn't think of going there to walk. Um, you wouldn't, that wouldn't be a destiny. I mean, you might, if you live nearby and you needed to go to the Walgreens, but it's not the first place that comes to mind that you would enjoy the environment. You got shade trees and such. It's just not, those kinds of roadways are just not very inviting if you're on foot or bike. Well, uh, to bring it back to books. Uh, briefly, my book choices, not really related to anything our guests have been reading, but will also probably not be a surprise to long time listeners. Uh, I'm like almost done. I think I have like one chapter left of a graphic memoir called Messy Roots, uh, written by Laura Gao. She was born in China, but her family came to America when she was young, I think probably before the age of 10. And her kind of dealing with finding her identity of you know, 
being Chinese, but also having spent the majority of her formative years in America and like figuring out what that means for her and her identity. Um, and there's also an added layer to this particular graphic novel that's timely is that she includes some of moments from her life during the beginning of the pandemic because she's from Wuhan section of China where the coronavirus started. Um, so kind of how her experience in that really early pandemic time was different being someone who is Chinese and dealing with some of like the anti-Asian sentiment that was going on at the time. And I mean, is probably still going on because we didn't fix racism or anything. But yeah, I'm excited to just finish it off tonight. It was it was very well done. And I, I liked the art style. It's kind of like this sketchy or art style, but it felt kind of like it could be out of someone's sketchbook or something. And that made it feel very personal and very much felt like it really eliminated the degrees of separation from the author and the story. So it's a good one. If you like graphic memoir, go check it out. Um, so besides reading, have you guys been watching anything interesting lately? Well, I, I unfortunately had a recent uh, run-in with uh, the coronavirus a couple weeks ago. And during that time, uh, I decided that now is when I'm, I'm finally going to watch Seinfeld from start to finish. And <laughs> uh, so I, I got through about uh, the first two and a half seasons uh, before the school year just started. So things are, are slightly more hectic, um, but I, I, I'm determined, uh, perhaps more so than I am to finish uh, the History of Ireland book I started quite some time ago, uh, to, to finish Seinfeld, uh, hopefully before the end of the year. That and I don't know if anyone is a, is a fan of, of Game of Thrones, but uh, the return of, of the, the spinoff House of Dragons, I, I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. <laughs> I was just sitting here being like, I totally blanked what I've been watching between last time we recorded and today. And then you said about Game of Thrones. And I was like, oh, right. I watched the first two episodes of House of the Dragon. Well, I have been um, completely hooked on two different YouTube channels um, that I just recently started to get involved with watching. And it's like I, I have to go and watch a new episode every chance I get. One of them is called Not Just Bikes. They have these eight to 10 minute segments, but they cover a variety of issues having to do with mobility. Um, and it is truly not just bikes. And um, what I like about it is that they'll talk about a concept, but then you'll see examples that they show you in practice from other parts of the world, in some cases, um, other parts of North America. And it's just, I really like it because they're brief and they give you a really good understanding about pros and cons of different topics, um, whether it's, you know, protected bike lanes or how how certain places just manage the, the real estate known as the street. How do you divide it so that it's safe for all users? And it's just, you know, smart and it works and functions right. Um, so anyway, though, that's one. It's called Not Just Bikes. And the other one is called City Beautiful. Very similar that they get into other areas of um community development and they you know they tackle different issues and you get to really just get a introduction to different topics it's really informative and, and entertaining hmm. thinking about comparing going to another city recently to providence and seeing that like boston has bike lanes and stuff 
um, a lot more, I would say, than Providence does, but also like protected bike lanes because the bike lane is sometimes like just like another lane on the street. And I'm like, I feel like that would make me nervous too because it's like, okay, there's space where I'm supposed to be in, but also the cars are right there. Exactly. Now, you you hit the nail on the head. And that's, that is a, a real issue because a lot of people won't do it if they don't feel safe or they're not going to allow their children to do it if they don't feel that it's safe. And the Not Just Bikes program is run by a guy that's moved his family to um, Amsterdam, probably the leading city in the world for um, thinking really critically about mobility and incorporating um, bikes. And um, what's, what's kind of interesting about that is that Amsterdam wasn't always that way. In like the 60s and 70s, they were just as sort of car dependent and car centric as we are, but they made a choice and they made changes that really seem to work um, very well. So it's, um, but you're right. It's it's about, you know, a person's safety, whether they feel comfortable doing it. And when you do feel comfortable, you can do it all year long, winter, summer, um, cargo bikes. I mean, everything. I've also seen a couple of the Not Just Bikes uh, segments, and they're a great introduction into some of these concepts for, for someone who, you know, does not have, probably the, you know, the, the educational background and, and professional experience that you do in this, it, 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 it is a really good way to, to dip my toes into it, get a little bit of familiarity and, and kind of gauge where my interests want to go elsewhere to, to start exploring it. They really are interesting. Yeah, I agree. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. online archive featuring keyword searchable local historical newspapers, including the Cranston Herald, is now available online to Cranston Public Library cardholders. The archive includes documents from 1885 to 1977. Additional newspaper archives from 1977 to 2016 are available separately from inside the library only. This archive is brought to you by Advantage Preservation and funded by the Champlin Foundation. Visit cranstonlibrary.org slash databases to find out more. Do you enjoy knitting or crocheting? Join us at the Auburn branch every Monday at 2 p.m. for their knitting and crochet circle. Work on a project, get help with something new, or knit for a charity cause. Knitters and crocheters of all levels of experience are invited to join. No registration required. For questions, email auburn at cranstonlibrary.org. Well, since we already have been talking about urban centers and making them commutable, not just by car and, you know, in, enjoyable and more accessible to everyone, um, let's kind of talk about why both of you have an interest in this topic. So, uh, John, will you tell us a little bit about Grow Smart Rhode Island? Yes, I'm happy to. So, um, so Grow Smart is a uh, relatively small nonprofit. We're based in Providence, but we're statewide. We've been around for 24 years. We do research and advocacy around public policy related to all those things that make up a community. So it's everything from from housing and housing affordability to transportation to economic development to your point earlier about natural resource conservation, all those things that make a place the kind of place that people want to be, where they want to live, where they want to work, 
um, and that you know that works for their lifestyle. I can give you some some examples. Um, Grossmart was an early champion of program called the State Historic Tax Credit. Uh, was it, it was enacted back in 2021, and that is a program that has um, helped to provide the incentives for developers to take over some of these old historic buildings, which we have a lot of in Rhode Island, the most per capita than any place in the country, um, but to convert them to, to you know, adaptively reuse them. Um, and in, in most cases today, that, that's for, for housing, because that's the, the, the thing that's most in demand. You know, we have a real housing uh, crisis. And a lot of these places are located in the centers of communities. They were around village centers. And so it's using what you already have before you just turn your back on it and then shift your attention to plowing over the next farm to do a subdivision. Um, because in fact, what we know is that um, from a market demand standpoint, people have increasingly been interested in living in walkable communities. Um, they don't want to be on a cul-de-sac where they can't get where they're going on foot or have access to amenities and such. And a big, big part of the work that we do, because you can't talk about one without talking about the other, um, is transportation, because it connects everything. And the question is, you know, there are choices to be made about how we use our transportation dollars that we spend. Um, and they can be either used in a way that enhances quality of life um, or that, that takes away from quality of life. And we talked about, for example, nobody really wants to, you know, go out. They don't set their destination to walk on Reservoir Avenue, as an example. And there are examples uh, all across the country of places that have re-looked at those kinds of areas um, and done some rezoning to make them more livable places. Um, that doesn't take away from, you know, their economic value. In fact, it enhances them. And so... You know, we focus on green transportation, and that covers a, a big area from um, public transportation to ride shares to scooter share, bike share, um, different ways for people to get where they're going. Um, one of the things when we take a step back and look at it at 30,000 feet is there's three overriding issues that we see coming out of the pandemic that a lot of our work relates very directly to. One is climate change, right? It's happening before our eyes. And it, there's a real call to take more action on that. Uh, two is racial, social, economic equity. Um, the pandemic has really exposed the, the huge disparities that exist. And um, smart growth is one answer to a lot of that. And then the third is post-pandemic rebuilding, right? So this is like this once-in-a-generation opportunity where states are flush with cash from federal relief, and encouraged to use those funds in rebuilding. And how do we rebuild? And so, you know, again, transportation is just such a huge part of our daily life. Everybody uses it. So we've been promoting at the local level um, concepts uh, like complete streets, which really are the streets that are designed with all users in mind, young, old, people who no longer drive, uh, the disabled. And when you think about how you design a street, I mean, we have our road network, but then, you know, uh, every once in a while, you've got to, they got to go in and do some repair work or um, repave. And those are opportunities to take a fresh look at how can we do this differently when we have the road all torn up to make it something that is um, better for everybody. And so we're beginning to see more um, protected bike lanes. The city of Providence has a really ambitious plan called the Great Streets uh, Initiative, which is 
committing to doing this across the city, creating, you know, urban trails where people can, you know, more safely get where they're going. But, you know, it relates to climate change. And I'll just, I'll, I'm going to just throw out one statistic and then I'm going to back off because I can probably go on and talk forever. But, but when we think about climate change, the transportation sector is both the single largest and the fastest growing contributor to climate emissions. And we know we have a mandate to bring emissions down. And the question is, how are we going to do that? And it's going to take a lot of different things from electrifying our vehicles, which is something that is happening and there's incentives for that at the federal level. But it can't be done with that alone. It's never going to solve the problem if it's just electrification of cars. We have a, a very ambitious transit master plan that's been approved by the state back in December of 2020. But we've got to step up and make the investment to implement it because even though almost 80% of our state's population lives within a 10-minute walk of a transit stop. You can walk out your front door and get to a bus stop within 10 minutes for 80% of the people. Less than 3% of the people use it as a means to get to work. And we know why that is. It's a lack of service, lack of hours, the lack of frequency that means that it's going to take you two or three or four times as long to get where you're going. And if you've got access to a car, you're going to make that rational choice. So the key is we've got to make our transit system work better for more people. And we're on that path. Uh, we're pushing that every day. And I know we'll get there. But it's one more thing that when you think about the transportation and the land use and the housing, um, these things all fit together like a puzzle. And that's kind of our specialty is looking at things from you know a systemic perspective and um, proposing policies that bring those things together in a thoughtful way. So now um, I'd like to shift our conversation to how the One Cranston Health Equity Zones Built Environment Subcommittee is doing this related work in Cranston. Yeah, so uh, I'm really excited about the work that we're doing on the Our Built Environment. A little background for uh, any listeners that aren't super familiar with the One Cranston Health Equity Zone. We are a resident-driven initiative. Um, looking to work and address root causes of health disparities and inequities within Cranston. We started off by kind of focusing just on three or four census tracts that predominantly border the uh, northern Cranston at the Providence Line, mostly the area that I represent. Um, And we've spread since then to cover the whole city. The Our Built Environment Subcommittee uh, focuses on trying to create a Cranston or looking at ways to create a Cranston that's safer, more livable uh, for, for people to live, work, and play, have fun, enjoy everything that Cranston has to offer because there is quite a bit. Um, things, uh, ways that, that we have tried to, uh, specific to transportation, we've you know had conversations with members from RIPTA, with um, housing experts to discuss you know, policies and initiatives that we can do to try and enact change. And, you know, me being part of that organization, as well as the Cranston City Council, obviously gives me a real, uh, it gives me an opportunity to both, uh, you know, be focused in community, um, in our community, and in the voices of this, you know, resident-driven initiative, myself, you know, as a lifelong Cranston resident included, and trying to then take those conversations, those policies, and those needs that have to be addressed within our community kind of and carry them hopefully to the to the city council we haven't done um at least from our kind of legislative uh focus 
and the our honor built environment, it hasn't been much in terms of safe and complete streets. It's a conversation that we've more recently started to have, and I'm really excited on September 27th, our next our built environment subcommittee meeting. We have like I think like five or six new members that are going to be joining us who we recently connected. Some are part of the province bike coalition. Some are residents who uh, utilize our bike path or don't rely on um, a vehicle to get from work every day. So it is a conversation that we'll focus more in depth on. For the past year, we've really been focusing on housing. Um, that's kind of been our, our, our focus. We uh, collaboratively work together on a safe housing ordinance, a safe occupancy ordinance for rental tenants to try and implement more proactive inspections of rental properties throughout the city of Cranston. Especially in Eastern Cranston, we see uh, an aging housing stock where there are higher uh, exposure to lead. Um, Unfortunately, uh, children entering kindergarten in Cranston uh, this past year, according to Kids Count, there was actually an increase in lead poisoning by about 1.2%, which doesn't sound like a ton, but when you're going from 2.6 to 3.8 or so, it's it's significant. So trying to address things like lead exposure, um, better ensuring minimum housing standards are being met. Um, you know, we've we've worked on an ordinance that's currently in before the city council that we're uh, advocating for to try and help better protect tenants and their rights, but also you know ensure that we have safe housing here in Cranston, that our, our rental units are, are up to code, that, you know, landlords are maintaining their properties in a safe and habitable condition, uh, which, which does tie in with, you know, everything John was talking about related to transportation, because a more vibrant public transportation system would open up so many more opportunities for people to, to, to get housing um, and work and recreation. I know I'm incredibly excited to hopefully see the the rip to transit forward plan implemented because that would connect, you know, the neighborhood I live in over by the Cranston stadium with the rest of the city, you know, with park Ave. if we can get a crosstown bus route that connects, you know, broad street with Cranston with the rest of the city, it, it would open up opportunities for everyone. And I know that the community that I represent, I think it's something like in, in, in one census, I think census track 141, almost a third of the residents there rely on something else other than a vehicle to get to work. So it, investing in our uh, public transit system is, is an investment in them. It's an investment in connecting people to the resources and services that they need to create you know, a more vibrant Cranston for everyone. John, it's so exciting to hear that you're you know, both on the city council, but you're so active with the One Cranston Has um, because you're getting that information uh, firsthand and you're in a position to um, to bring it to your council, which is just so, so important. I think that's that's fantastic. And, you know, you, you touched on the connection between the transit and housing. One of the things that we've come to learn from doing some research, um, you're well aware of the housing crisis we have in the state. We don't have enough housing. And uh, we do have the 10% rule, you know, the law that says every community must have 10% affordable housing, which is good, but we're not going to solve this crisis by getting compliance with the 10% because uh, the numbers just aren't going to be there. Not enough, not enough units. And what we do know is that we can um, accelerate housing production in a meaningful way if we do it along 
the busiest transit corridors in transit-oriented development, where you can build multifamily. It's still at scale. It fits in with the community. We're not talking about putting these towers up, um, but you can actually get more unit production, and you're doing it in a way that's providing people the opportunity to rely more on a public transportation system to get where they need to go, which means you don't have to include in the zoning, you don't have to require as many um, parking spaces. Um, and that's one sure way to be able to increase the, the the number of housing units that we so desperately need. And, you know, when you mentioned that one project that, that comes to mind that's going on in Cranston right now, and, and me mentioning this, I'm not trying to take any credit for anything. It's just strictly, you know, informational is you mentioned the 10% rule. And prior to about six weeks ago, Cranston hadn't had any commercial development of uh, low to moderate income housing in, I think, about a decade. And while I'm sad that the Legion Bowl on Park Avenue, it will be no more, because that's where I learned <laughs> how to bowl as, a, as a, a little kid, that is being turned into, you know, a 70 unit, um, I think three or four story property with about 15% low to moderate income units. And that's great. That's right on Park Avenue. That's right. You know, as you said, if we can get the, the crosstown bus, that'll be right on a main uh, transit corridor. And it will connect, you know, not only with, I think it's the number nine uh, on Broad Street, but you think about Rolf Square and what a gem that can be for Cranston, connecting people and everyone in that area with, you know, local businesses, shops, restaurants, entertainment, the, the, the park theater revitalization. Um you know, that's the kind of planning and development that that we should strive to see more of and incentivize here in Cranston. Agreed. Agreed totally. It's 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 a it's the most efficient way to use what we already have um and not abandon what we've already got. I mean, you mentioned the Eastern Cranston, you got Ralph Square, there's Knightsville, there's just so much opportunity for um for redevelopment and doing it in a way that is sustainable for the community. And it's not going to result in, and one of the things that people usually resist housing because of is, you know, they talk about the traffic and it's going to increase traffic. And then the other one is the school age population fears that it's going to drive up um, education costs, which we know doesn't happen. Um, and in fact, a lot of schools, you know, enrollments have been way down and some schools are actually looking to try to get more kids in their system. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, a, it's a, it's really at the end of the day, it's it's creating livable communities and using your resources in a in a very efficient way, and that's what we ha- we have to do both of those things. Um, so this question is for both of you. You know, if people are listening to this and they're like, "Yes, you know, I, I think this is really important." Um, what are your recommendations for them if they want to try to get involved or or help make these things happen in some way? So I can start off on that. Uh, we do a lot of work with the Hezes around the state, and we hope to be doing actually a lot more of that. Um, one of the, the projects that we're working on now, and I, maybe a, it's a spoiler from the, the, the closing where we were going to talk about something that's, that's, that's happening, but it's really relevant to what we're talking about. And that is in anticipation of the state embarking on full implementation of this transit vision and master plan, which is essential. Uh, there's a role for, for local advocacy. So as one example, the Transit Master Plan has a number of things that it calls for, one of which is the, the east-west service that you were talking about, John, um, for you know, cross-town service along Park Avenue. 
Um, but it also calls for having um, mobility hubs in every community. And they're going to be of different scales and sizes, and they're going to have different amenities. And these are things that really should be driven from a local perspective. Um, but to know that there's going to be resources available, that's part of the transit master plan, is to build out these um, mobility hubs. And the, the local uh, stakeholders have an opportunity to say, where would we most want to have? Where would it make sense to have a, a mobility hub in Cranston? You know, maybe at the confluence of a couple of major routes, then you can begin to think about, well, what other things should it have? Um, what kind of amenities should be? Should you be able to get a, a bike share or a scooter share there too, or a zip car? Uh, should there be an indoor place where you can grab a coffee while they're maybe waiting for, for a connection or a transfer, making the system, again, more livable, giving it a little bit of dignity? Because in many cases, a bus stop can be nothing more than a sign on a telephone pole um, that provides no you know, shelter from snow or rain. And so um, anyway, to get back to what the, you know, how people can get involved, um, we are implementing a grant that we got from the United Way to work with stakeholders across Rhode Island to build an army essentially of advocates that can be more effective. So we're gonna do a training program and we're gonna be looking at the HESAs as one of the sources of um, where, where people who are already active trying to shape these, these, um, these, these influences in their community can, can learn about how to be the most effective at, uh, at being an advocate because some things you need to advocate to your local city or town council, like um, things like the mobility hub or uh, dedicated uh, uh, bus lanes are being proposed for, for downtown areas that they're imp implementing them right now in uh, downtown Pawtucket. They've had them in Providence, but those are going to be the things that, that are going to require local approval. So we want to make sure that folks know if they, if they want to make these improvements in, in better mobility, um, who do you go to to advocate? In some cases, it's going to be the city council. In some cases, it's going to be RIPTA. If you're talking about saying, you know, for example, we really want to prioritize as you implement this transit master plan, we really want to see crosstown service uh, along Park Avenue. But they need to bring that message to RIPTA because they're the ones that are going to be saying, here, you know, we have the following resources to implement. And they want to hear from people about what are the things that should be done first. This vision for a better transit system, you know, was originally done with a 20-year planning horizon, meaning it's going to take 20 years to implement it. Um, but that was before the infrastructure bill passed at the end of last year, which is providing a lot of federal resources to do things just like what we have for a vision. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to accelerate the implementation of that, but it's going to call on local stakeholders to say, this is what we want most. This is the, the service that's most important to our constituents. It may be that you need longer hours so that folks can get home from a second shift job, or it may mean that you want the crosstown service so you don't have to go into downtown Providence to make any connection that you might need to take. Um, really making it work better for people. So we're going to be rolling out a training program in uh, December and January, and um, we're going to be inviting representatives from all of the HESs to participate. We're going to offer them in different locations around the state. And um, we'll also be recruiting folks who are active with neighborhood associations. So if what you're hearing is of any interest, I would encourage you to get in touch with me. I'll make my email address available, um, invite people to sign up to get our e-blasts so you're aware of them. But we're going to um, be 
actually providing a stipend for all the folks that do participate in the hopes that they're going to go back then and help other people within um, that organization about how to be most effective when advocating for for transportation improvements. So we'll be rolling that out in December, January, and we would welcome folks from all communities in Rhode Island to become involved in it. I would say if, if anyone that's listening today is interested in getting involved uh, with you know anything that you're that that we've spoken about, uh, you can always reach out to you know your your city council person to you know say hey these are some things that I would like to see our city of Cranston take on or these these are some you know priorities or initiatives that I feel that we should try and implement. If you would like to get involved in the One Cranston Health Equity Zone, I would recommend you know reaching out to that organization. Their email is infohez at comcap.org. We are a resident-driven initiative, um, and you know we always welcome members of the community to get involved with that. I would also just say, um, you know, as a member of the city council who's you know been there for three and a half years now, the people in the room don't always reflect the different and diverse perspectives that we see in the community, and certainly don't reflect the needs uh, and priorities that you know some of us feel that we should be centering. So. Uh, I know that it's difficult for many people to get to city council meetings. Um, so if you can't get to a city council meeting to come and talk and, you know, tell us what you want to see done within the city, like I said, reach out to your city council person, call, uh, email, because that, you know, helps us spur change and spur action. So I would just say, you know, uh, go through trainings like John was talking about. Um, those are great resources. Utilize those. And uh, you know, hopefully, put them and, and implement them for for positive change that we can see in our community. Is there anything else either of you want our audience to know before we wrap up? Uh, I would say just as a follow up to John providing contact info, I'd like to just invite people who are interested in knowing more about Grow Smart Rhode Island. Uh, you can go to our website, which is growsmartri.org, and my contact information is there. You can reach me through email or telephone, and um, it'll give you a good overview of the kind of things that we work on. And we would just invite anybody who's listening, who's interested, to reach out and get in touch, engage with us, uh, sign up for a training, attend a workshop. Um, most of the things we offer are free. And in the case of the training, we're actually going to be paying people to get that training. So um, get in touch. <laughs> And contact info for both organizations will be in the show notes. Um, so we like to wrap up the show with the segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish-related question. So I thought since we uh, have been talking about, you know, the environments that we live in, um, I was wondering what fictional environment or world would you like to go on vacation to? What fictional? Yeah, like in a book or in a movie or TV. Ah. Hmm. I'll I'll start with I was thinking about mine before the show and um <laughs> I was having a conversation with some friends the other day about how like glamping is the is the closest that we'll ever get to camping. Um so I think I would like to go to the little Ewok village in uh on Endor from Star Wars and and do some some like glamping in their little treehouse village. Well, I guess I'll, I'll go and say that since I've been hooked on not just uh, bikes um, for so long, 
I'm really interested in going back to Amsterdam. I haven't been there since the mid eighties and see for myself um, how, how well their systems work in person. And I'd, I'd love to go back to Amsterdam. I, I would also love to go back to Amsterdam. I think the one of the, uh, was there about a little under a decade ago. And, and I re- recall, you know, stepping off the train and, and seeing signs that say, watch out for the bikes. I'm like, watch out for the bikes. And, this is new. Um, and, but to be taken very seriously. Um, I, I would say um, maybe the Shire. It looks like a oh, that's a good one too. Place to, to go visit. <laughs> Can I change my uh, my answer to Hobbiton? <sighs> yeah, that's a good one. I like to joke. If it wasn't for me being five eight, I think I would make a really good Hobbit. <laughs> it's just born too tall. So thank you both for joining me and thank you everyone for listening. If you'd like to tell us what fictional environment or world you'd like to go on vacation to or just to reach out to us about the show, you can email us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org and you also can reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening, and this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Nomi Hay, Robin Nazio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. Five minutes to spare. Boom. Awesome. That was great.